Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN General Assembly to spotlight climate change, Zimbabwean police block a march by doctors in Harare and UN experts to assist South Africa in its fight against gender-based violence. In economics news, Zimbabwe's central bank hikes its main interest rate. And in sports news, India beats South Africa in the second T20 cricket international. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Liberian President George Weah has paid a visit to the boarding school in a suburb near the capital, the capital Monrovia, in which 27 children were killed in a fire. Weah says the cause of the blaze is still unknown. However, police say the blaze was caused by an electrical issue and that further investigations are ongoing. Weah also extended his condolences to the bereaved families. The kids were reportedly learning the Quran when the fire broke out. The United Nations Secretary-General has added his voice to ask for the lifting of all international sanctions on Sudan following the formation of a civilian-led transitional government. This follows similar calls from the African members of the Security Council and a communique from the African Union's Peace and Security Council that the African country also be removed from the United States list of countries sponsoring terrorism. UN Chief Antonio Guterres. Sudan is a matter of great hope for us. I believe that uh, the, uh, what was possible in the dialogue in Sudan demonstrates that all political conflicts can be solved by dialogue when there is political will for that. And this should be a lesson for everywhere else in the world. Uh, it is time now for the international community to support Sudan. So Sudan is in a very dire economic situation, in a very dramatic economic situation. I hope that uh, uh, all the restrictions that exist about Sudan, namely the classification as a country that supports terrorism and sanctions, will be quickly removed. And Former DRC Health Minister Oli Ilonga has been placed under house arrest after a day of hearings at the Kinshasa Prosecutor's Office. He's charged with embezzlement of more than four million US dollars intended to fight the second deadliest Ebola epidemic in the Democratic Republic of Congo since 2018. The 59-year-old was arrested on Saturday by police and is accused of trying to flee the country. He has been under a ban to leave the national territory since last August. Ilunga has rejected all the charges. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says the Constitutional Court ruling that confirms that spanking a child at home is unconstitutional will further assist in combating the abuse of children. Ramaphosa had called a joint sitting of Parliament to discuss violence against women and children. The President says the many forms of child abuse must be fought on all levels. The Constitutional Court has handed down an ex- extremely significant judgment 
When we talk about violence against children, we focus on sexual abuse, but the battering of children is a very serious problem that must also get sufficient attention. Children do need and must be protected from all forms of violence, whether it is in the home, in the streets, or in the schools. And finally, Saudi Arabia says the weekend attack on its oil facilities was unquestionably sponsored by Iran. The accusation came from the Saudi Defense Ministry as it sets out what it said was evidence to back the allegation. Iran has denied any involvement and warned it would retaliate against any military response, the BBC's Alan Johnston reports. The Defence Ministry spokesman put on display the battered and crumpled remains of drones and cruise missiles that were used in the attack. He said they were Iranian-made. He said it wasn't yet possible to pinpoint their launch sites, but he showed film of the strike that he said revealed it came from the north rather than from Yemen in the south. Houthi rebels there, who are backed by Iran, say they mounted the attack in retaliation for Saudi airstrikes. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The world is at a critical moment on several fronts and the biggest challenge facing leaders and institutions is to show people that they care. So says the United Nations Secretary General who was speaking to the media in New York ahead of the start of the annual General Assembly high-level segment of the global organization next week. Antonio Guterres was also previewing his all-important Climate Action Summit on Monday in which he again urged world leaders not to come with fancy speeches but with concrete commitments towards upscaling ambition towards carbon neutrality by 2050. Show and Bryce Priest reports. Very good afternoon, I think. The top agenda item for Antonio Guterres is climate change and he believes high-level week should be mobilized to respond to people's anxieties with answers. I see the high level as an excellent opportunity, a level week, as an excellent opportunity to showcase the United Nations as a center for solutions and the driver for meaningful positive change in people's lives. Let's face it, we have no time to lose. We are losing the race against climate change. Our world is off track in meeting the Sustainable Development Goals. We see trade wars and real wars and the spread of hateful words and deadly weapons. Tensions are boiling over and every day people always pay the highest price. This is the moment to cool tensions and nowhere is there more important than in the Gulf.
At the climate summit, the UN chief expects member states to showcase their initiatives aimed at moving away from coal to put a price on carbon by stopping subsidies for fossil fuels and by cutting pollution levels that are so detrimental to human health. The summit is seeking commitments to reduce carbon emissions by 45% by 2030 and to capitalize the Green Climate Fund to the tune of $100 billion annually starting in 2020. We will need governments, businesses and people everywhere to join these efforts so we can put climate action into higher gear. And we also need to step up our drive to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. And with so many world leaders heading to New York, a time to advance diplomacy for peace, just as the United States is accusing Iran of an act of war after the attack claimed by rebels fighting in Yemen on oil infrastructure in Saudi Arabia. That uh, I strongly condemned this attack. I think this attack is a dramatic escalation in the Gulf. And I believe that we absolutely need to stop this kind of escalation and that we absolutely need to create the conditions to avoid the major confrontation of the Gulf that would have, as we have seen uh, by the immediate impact on oil markets, um, if there would be a major confrontation in the Gulf, it would have devastating consequences for the region and globally. Guterres hoping to promote dialogue towards political and economic solutions in Libya. Yemen, from Syria to Palestine, Sudan, South Sudan, and Zimbabwe. In relation to Zimbabwe, I think it's very important that uh, true political and economic reform uh, is implemented by Zimbabwe in order, first of all, to solve the problems of the, the country and of its people, and second, uh, to uh, be able uh, also to gain um, in the international community the kind of support that Zimbabwe will need to overcome the very difficult economic situation which it is. And of course, the human rights dimension is fully part of that. With a message to world leaders, put people first, their needs their aspirations and their rights. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Executive Director for United Nations Women Pumzilim Lambunguka says she has assembled a team of experts to assist the South African government in their fight against the scourge of violence on women and children. She says she is pleased with President Sil Ramaphosa's action plan, where 1.1 billion rand has been allocated for the plan. Noma Bolani reports from New York. Pumzile Mlambonoka, the executive director of UN Women, says she's pleased with the South African government's response to the scourge of violence on women and children. On Wednesday, in a joint parliamentary sitting, President Sil Ramaphosa announced interventions that will be implemented in the fight against violent crimes on women and children. Some of them include training of police officers as well as financially boosting the sexual offences courts. Mlambongoga says this is a step in the right direction. I also am happy with the five-point plan that is announced because it addresses prevention responses. It also uh, uh, addresses uh, some of the services. And uh, I would add the need also for the long-term support that women need when they are there. It's, it's an excellent platform that we have in this speech. We just need people to rally behind and to act. Us as the UN are standing ready also to support the plan. Mlambo Nuga is offering UN support to government. She says she has a team of specialists which can assist in training 
and giving expert advice to the stakeholders who will be implementing the action plan. I'm already assembling my team uh, that I've been dying to send to South Africa that is working on police training, which is uh, full of experts from all over the world. We, we're really open for business and we are really keen to make this work. And the toolkit can not only be used by government, the toolkit will be effective if all of us use the toolkit but also bring in additional tools to support the, the toolkit of the government. The UNED says there also needs to be a mindset change in the men of South Africa. She says this fight is not only for women and children. Because I think we still have a situation where women, children and old people are battling rapists and killers by themselves while good men stand out and say, ah, shame. There isn't time for that. They must jump in and be in the fight and be the first ones that are making sure that this fight does not continue. At this point, women, children, old people, disabled people, people of different sexual orientation are just fighting just by themselves. Everyone else is just watching. Mlambo Nuga says while this action plan is only set up for six months, she hopes there's a long-term plan that will be put in place to ensure that the femicide statistics decrease. Noma Bolani at the United Nations in New York. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has vowed that perpetrators of violence against women and children will face the full wrath of the law. Ramaphosa addressed a joint sitting of Parliament to share government's response to the scourge of violence against women and children. This is the first time that the President has requested a special joint sitting to address Parliament. Celine Merrington reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed both houses of Parliament. There is a dark and heavy shadow across our land. The women and the children of this great country are under siege. There is a very violent and brutal war that is underway against the women of South Africa. Among the interventions by government, 1.1 billion rand will be reallocated to comprehensively combat the scourge. Ramaphosa says government will bring legislative proposals to parliament. Abusers rapists and murderers must know that they will be caught and that they will face the full might and the consequences of the law for the actions that they perpetrate. We affirm our position that the state 
should oppose bail for suspects charged with the rape and murder of women and children. And that those who are found guilty of such crimes should not be eligible for parole. And if sentenced to a life sentence, this must just mean what it is, life in prison. And the criminal justice system will also be strengthened. This is to ensure that justice indeed is served. Perpetrators are held to account. Survivors do not suffer secondary victimization and the law acts as a deterrent. We will therefore be directing resources to improve the functioning of sexual offenses courts, the Tutuzela care centers, and the family violence and child protection and sexual investigation units of the South African Police Service. Ramaphosa also addressed the recent spate of violent attacks against foreign nationals in parts of Johannesburg. He has invited former Tanzanian President Jakaya Kikweti and former Mozambican President Joachim Shisano to South Africa on a fact-finding mission on what led to the violence. There is no place for xenophobia in South Africa. And in fact, we can say that South Africans are not xenophobic. South Africans do not hate nationals from other countries. And nor is there any place for criminality, whether it is committed by foreigners or by our own citizens. From history, we know that there is a fine line between turning on foreigners and turning on each other. And I said we cannot and will never accept that form of tribalism. The president had a strong final message. I believe that the time to talk is over. We now need to get down to action. That report by Zaline Merrington. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's South Africa's turn to hold a rotating chairmanship of the African Union in 2020, but the recent spate of attacks against other Africans in the country has led to speculation over whether it will still take up the role. The African Union is asking the country to put an end to the violence as it prepares for the chairmanship. Koleta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. Despite the outbreak of violence in South Africa, the African Union Commission says it does still have confidence in the country. Eba Kalondo is the spokesperson for the AU Commission chairperson. South Africa has been a leading light, not only on the continent, but internationally, of the very African brand of multilateralism. We cannot let that go. Not even when things are going wrong, and probably especially 
when we are having uncomfortable moments. This is an uncomfortable moment, but it's not in any measure of the imagination insurmountable. The African Union Commission stands ready, now as ever before, to support the South African government and its people as they themselves find the solution to be able to have these difficult but important conversations about how do we live together. Mohamed Diata, a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, says a country has never been stripped off of the chairmanship before. I don't think that there is any consideration or thoughts to that extent. Uh, so uh, the South African chairpersonship of the, of the union is not in any kind of danger of being revoked. However, I must say that uh, there, there was an uproar or there has been an uproar um, about the, the attacks that we've, we've seen in, in South Africa recently. Mohammed adds that when it takes over as chair, South Africa may not find it easy to regain the confidence of other states. It's about being the voice of the, of the union, speaking for the African Union, but more importantly, speaking for African people. And obviously, if you, you've seen what has happened in, in, in South Africa and the reactions across the continent, then uh, one would doubt that South Africa would have the legitimacy to represent people that, that you know, are seeing South Africa as you know, not uh, welcoming or not, in this case, at this point, at least representative of, of, of any African citizen. To redeem its image, the South African government must send out a clear message condemning the attacks. AU member states say they were disappointed with South Africa's response to previous wave of attacks since 2008. They want the country to take more decisive actions this time round. Koletwanjohi, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. A line of baton-wielding police on Wednesday stopped a march by Zimbabwean doctors protesting the alleged abduction of a union leader as fears grew about government repression and about his fate. The Zimbabwean Hospital Doctors Association has said its president, Peter Magombei, was seized last Saturday after calling for a pay strike and members say they will not return to work until he is found. Simon Machema reports from Harare. Zimbabwean police on Wednesday blocked doctors from marching in Harare in solidarity with their colleague who has been missing since Saturday. Police clad in anti-riot gear with baron sticks and tear gas canisters created a human barricade along the way doctors intended to use to parliament. Zimbabwe Hospital Doctors Association led the march demanding the return or release of Dr. Peter Magombei, leader of the association. Business has stopped at all government institutions, as specialist doctors have all joined the protest calling for the return of the young doctor. No Peter, no work is the motto doctors are using in a bid to compel government to either release the doctor or help locate him. Channel Africa spoke to ZHDA spokesperson Dr. Lenmo Shorty, who explained what transpired at the hospital. So we were marching to the parliament. We have a petition from our senior consultants, so they wanted to, to end it to parliament. Okay. The police are saying we are supposed to give a notification seven days before marching. Okay. So now we are saying we can't give a notification seven days before 
in times like this, our colleague is missing. We don't know where he is. So this is like an agent thing. We they are they are blocking our our way. So we send some of our guys to central police so that they may try to negotiate. So that's where they are now. So we are waiting for feedback from them. According to Len Moshoti, the missing doctor was simply playing a leading role as the leader of an association. However, unknown silence were threatening Peter even during salary negotiations, giving rise to the belief state security was responsible for his abduction. He was also being threatened. Actually, these threats came when they were in a meeting negotiating for salaries. The nurses and the doctors, uh, Magombe, our, our guy, the leaders of the doctors and the leaders of the nurses, they turned down the, the offer and then uh, they, Peter actually received a threat in that meeting when he was sitting next to the nurse and he showed him, like they were being told to accept what we are being offered, okay? If you don't, if you don't accept, you'll be, you know, you'll be, you'll be killed. Human rights lawyer Doug Coltard tried in vain to negotiate with the police bosses to allow the doctors to march, but they did not move. Out of frustration that medical professionals are exempted from notifying police of their intention to protest, he castigated the police for their unlawful behavior. In short, there was a meeting which uh, took place. Um, the, the police officers agreed that, uh, that the doctors are exempt in terms of POSA. We even agreed on a route to, uh, to proceed with. Um, but then subsequently on our, on our way here, they then, called, uh, they, they then called me to say now they've changed the, the, um, the goalposts and they're saying now only a group of 10 uh, can proceed. The others must, uh, must remain here. So uh, this we consider to be a violation of, 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 of the rights of doctors who are wanting to exercise their rights again, to, to speak out against another violation of, of, of rights. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, the doctors don't want to have a conf confrontation. To Meanwhile, Zimbabwean teachers have joined the doctors to express their dismay by staying away from work. From Friday, teachers who constitute the majority of government workers will conduct prayers for the safety of the missing doctor until he is found. President of the Progressive Teachers Union of Zimbabwe, PTUZ, Raymond Majongwe said. And we are not running away from our jobs. We love our jobs so much. But we are simply saying now is the time to share the pain and the belief that Dr. Magombe will be found alive. So on Friday we are saying to all teachers, take time to pray. Take time, stay at home and pray for the safe return of Dr. Magombe. And this is the point. The reason why R2s and PTUZs are coming together is not by accident. We are here because we believe in the cause that workers must be united. And this is the simple clarion position that we are sending to government, that we expect our government to be honorable, to be sens sensible and honest and fair with its citizens. In Arare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Senior Tiso Black Star Group journalist Ranjani Munsami has denied allegations leveled against her at the State Capture Commission in Johannesburg on Wednesday. On his second day of testimony, senior Hawks investigator Gorbus Rolofsa said that an amount of over 140,000 rands from the Crime Intelligence Slush Fund was allegedly paid into a West Bank car finance account to settle a vehicle registered in Munsami's name in 2008 when she was self-employed. Rolofsa was the lead investigator and the head of the unit Richard Mluli's criminal trial, which led him to the discovery of the looting of the Secret Service account. Nomelizo Mandela reports. 
Kobus Roloffs had told the inquiry that he had learned of the alleged payments while investigating claims of corruption involving crime intelligence officers in a centurion-based vehicle dealership, Atlantis Motors. Ranjani Munusemi has since denied the allegations, saying through a statement that she's working with her lawyers to draft a response to the allegations for the commission with whom she's cooperating fully. Rulof said testified that Jan Fenter from Atlantis Motors said he was told to make the payment. In the amount of 143,621.78 cents, it was paid from the Atlantis Motors business account. Uh, to West Bank vehicle finance account in the settlement agreement of a vehicle registered in the name of uh, Ms. Ranjeni Munasami. Uh, and as far as I know, she is a journalist. Reflected as received on the same date in the West Bank, West Bank vehicle finance account held in the name of Ranjeni Munasami. This amount was debited, debited against an Atlantis Motors Beirut account on the 30th of July 2008. Rulofs also implicated former police minister Natim Tetwa, saying that he personally benefited from the slash fund. Rulofs said he, however, cannot say with certainty that the minister knew where the money came from. According to Colonel Naidu, he informed me about security renovations that he undertaken or that was undertaken at the private residence of the then Minister of Police, uh, Minister Tetwa. Uh, in Kwa Mbonambi in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, there was a res- assessment done on the 31st of May 2010 uh, on the premises on the instruction of General Madluli. Colonel Naira submitted the claims to the value of 195,581 and 45 cents uh, on 14th September 2010. So whether he actually knew where the money came from or not, that I can't, I will speculate if I, if I say that. Rulofs had told the commission that over 3 million rand of the slash fund was used to purchase vehicles for the unit's former head, Richard Mzluli. He said in total, five luxury vehicles were bought from Mzluli. A Mercedes-Benz E-Class sedan, a Mercedes-Benz 350CDI, a BMW 350D sedan, so it's a BMW 530D sedan. That is correct. Thank you. Uh, Mercedes-Benz ML350 and a Lexus. The total value of those vehicles amounts to more than 3 million rand. Rulofsir is expected to continue with his testimony on Thursday. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the United Nations Secretary General has added his voice to ask for the lifting of all international sanctions on Sudan following the formation of a civilian-led transitional government in the country. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says the Constitutional Court ruling that confirms that spanking a child at home is unconstitutional will further assist in combating the abuse of children. And Saudi Arabia says the weekend's attack on its oil facilities was unquestionably sponsored by Iran. Those are the stories making headlines.
across the globe. Every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitranjoe for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. At 7.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Children living in poverty in South Africa are far less likely to attend an early childhood development or ECD program such as a preschool than their wealthier peers. These children are likely to start school at a distinct disadvantage, which carries lifelong consequences. This is according to the South African Early Childhood Review 2019, an annual measure of progress in ECD service delivery. To shed some light on this, we are now joined on the line by Dr. Colin Almele, Executive Director of the South African Early Childhood Review. Dr. Almele, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, what exactly did this report find, and did most of the findings come as a surprise? Um, the, 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 the findings of the report don't come as a complete surprise. Uh, we've been doing this is the third edition of the report, um, and we see uh, much of the much of the same trends across. Uh, the various indicators uh, documented in the report across um, across the five components of the essential package of ECD services. Um, it's important to note that uh, ECD is, uh, includes uh, nutrition, maternal and child health, uh, early learning, uh, uh, parenting support, um, and social protection. Um, I think... Uh, what we, how you started the conversation is, uh, you know, continues to be uh, what we found over the past few years, which is uh, poorer children um, have far less opportunities for quality uh, service delivery and particularly uh, access to early learning programs compared to their wealthier peers. And this is something which doesn't seem to be um, shifting. Now, what are the major barriers preventing children from accessing childhood development programs? Um, in the case of early learning, um, there are a number of barriers. Um, one is obviously uh, obviously cost, um, the cost of user fees. We know that, uh, that the child support grant, for example, which is offered to, um, to, to poor households in South Africa, um, at a cost of 400 and 20 rand uh, per child per month um, actually is below um, below the food poverty line um, of around just over 500 rand a month. Um, what this means is that you know poor households have to make some very difficult choices around food, nutrition, uh, school fees, uh, clothing, etc. So so having to to make that choice and uh, and uh, that means choosing, you know, do you pay user fees or do you do, or do you 
uh, purchase food uh, and other essential items. Um, at the same time, um, the South African government does provide a partial subsidy, but the report finds that um, only 12% of uh, children under six in South Africa actually access this, this partial subsidy. So in most cases, um, the cost is, is a barrier, um, in addition to things like access, uh, the availability of the services. Now, what gets compromised in a child's development when they don't receive the crucial services they need during the most important period of their development? So I think um, the, the most, when we think about the most important uh, time of their development, we really have to think about the full, uh, the full time period um, from conception, so through pregnancy, um, until the child's two years old, which is, you know, that's, that's termed as the first 1,000 days, um, and then until the, the child is ready to go to school. During the first 1,000 days, um, if children don't, uh, or if pregnant women and children don't get access to, uh, to, um, to the right nutrition services, for example, we see, um, we see that there's a high probability that they'll be stunted. In South Africa, we have a, quite a high rate of stunting. Uh, around a quarter of children are stunted. That means um, they are permanently um, on the back foot. Um, um, and then so then even when they do get access uh, to quality early learning services, um, that they aren't able to take full advantage um, and that obviously uh, leads on to how well they're able to take advantage of, of primary and secondary education. So, um, so there's a, the problem starts much earlier than, than, um, than just when the child's uh, you know, two or three years old um, and has to go to some kind of early learning program. Now, is quality a major concern for poor children who do manage to access ECD programs? Uh, yes, uh, it, it is definitely a problem. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, uh, we don't have uh, administrative and routine data um, on on what is exactly happening across all the uh, the programs across South Africa. We estimate that there are probably about you know thirty to forty thousand. Uh, ECD centers and different types of ECD programs uh, in existence. Um, in terms of quality, you need, uh, you need a safe space, uh, you need uh, resources, you need well-trained and remunerated uh, practitioners, um, and, and all of those things obviously both come at a cost, both to, to, to the caregiver, but also to the state who, who um, whose uh, mandate is to provide uh, at least training, um, some kind of uh, support, mentoring, supervision, uh, curriculum, resourcing. Um, And so, you know, we we don't necessarily know exactly what's going on in centers, but there's there's enough research to show that, uh, that, that, um, um, that quality is certainly um, not, uh, uh, at a high standard across the board, and it's mixed. Uh, what we also see um, uh, in some some recent studies is that quality can be um, um, uh, you can uh, achieve relatively high levels of quality and ensure children are developmentally on track uh, for school by uh, 
with uh, with relatively uh, limited uh, resources or, or inputs. Um, these include um, having a, a high-quality curriculum um, that uh, the practitioners are supported and mentored, um, that there's a, a system of, of collecting information uh, that helps to make decisions around what, where the gaps are in these programs. Um, and I think... So, so it's not only a, a, a bad story, um, but there are lots of quite easy opportunities and a way forward um, for the sector and government. Were there any improvements in terms of ECD services documented in the report? So I think uh, th- there has been an increase in, in, in the number of children aged, uh, aged three to five accessing um, accessing. Uh, group early learning programs, um, which is very good because you know that's coming uh, that's uh, that's coming at a time when you know South Africa is facing fiscal constraints, and so the the budget allocations uh, to to early learning services haven't uh, haven't increased over the past few years. But then at the same time, we're seeing almost seventy percent of children. Uh, of children attending some kind of early learning program. While we don't, as you say, while we don't know the quality of these programs, we certainly see that, that parents, uh, parents, uh, there's a demand for them, and they're recognizing that, that early childhood development is important, and so the increase is showing that communities and, and caregivers uh, are, 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 to, are choosing uh, to send their children to, to early learning programs, which I think is good news. Does the report make some recommendations on how to improve ECD to enable young children to achieve their full developmental potential? Um, the report is specifically designed to cover, as I started with, um, all, all the components of, uh, of the essential package of ECD services. So, um, um, it's, it's important that all of these, you know, uh, none of none of the fi- each of the five components is is uh, is necessary, um, but none of them are, are sufficient uh, just by themselves. Um, so, in terms of of uh, areas for improvement, you know, um, as I said, uh, so um, for example, for for um, in the case of of supporting primary caregivers. Um, one one option, one uh, uh, intervention that could that could support a pregnant woman, um, both in terms of their own health, uh, uh, enable the you know is a is a maternity benefit grant. So in a way, extending the child support grant down to pregnancy, um, and their maternity benefit grant, for example, could uh, uh, enable. Um, uh, give people transport money so they can do all their visits to the clinic, less stress, um, um, less stress, um, leading to maternal mental health problems, which have uh, which have uh, effects, uh, negative effects on 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 uh, caregivers' ability to care. Um, there have been studies that have shown that you know even pregnant women um, face hunger, um, and that obviously has as an effect on, on the woman herself, but then also, for example, as I said, on, on the stunting, on stunting rates uh, amongst young children. Um, so I think that's one of the solutions 
um, that have been that has been uh, put forward in the report. Another solution, for example, is is making sure that all all children's uh, births are registered. Um, there are a number of of health facilities around the country that have that the Department of Home Affairs does have a pres- presence in for early birth registration. Um, but that too, uh, you know, could be scaled up. It has been shown to be successful, um, and that too could be scaled up because birth having having a, an, an ID in South Africa opens up a whole range of of services uh, for young children. There, there are other other areas such as um, increasing, um, uh, you know, the, the increasing um, the the number of, of pregnant women coming much earlier for antenatal care so you can identify uh, uh, issues early and, and intervene for uh, postnatal visits uh, in, uh, for, for children, uh, ensuring that they, they, they get all their vaccines. You know, mm. if a child is, vaccinated, uh, uh, is fully, fully immunized, that's around eight visits to the clinic um, after birth. Each of those visits, is an opportunity to provide breastfeeding, counselling, um, support for caregivers, Dr. Almele, early learning, etc. Dr. Almele, unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'll have to cut you off there, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Colin Almele, Executive Director of the South African Early Childhood Review in South Africa. Our economics updates up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Thanks to Lulu and good morning. Zimbabwe has confirmed that it will host the 6th Africa Regional Forum on Sustainable Development in February 2020. Social Welfare Minister Sikai Nzenza says Zimbabwe is proud to host the ARFSD. She says the forum is a great opportunity for the country to showcase itself and its transitional stabilization program whose major focus is re-engagement following years of isolation, among other factors. Kenya's central bank governor, Patrick Njoroge, says Africa has embraced sound economic policies and even the political class has started to appreciate the importance of such policies. Although some economies in the 54-nation continent have recorded some of the fastest economic growth rates in recent years, critics say some policies need to be changed to deepen the growth and make it inclusive. Governor Njoroge says good policies are good for the economy. The Nigerian Association of Liquefied Petroleum Gas Marketers say the removal of value-added tax on cooking gas by the federal government will deepen market penetration. President of the Liquefied Gas Marketers, Nasa Ogieva Akunbo, said this at the association's governing council meeting earlier this week. Ogieva Akunbo says that the removal of VAT on its cooking gas supply to marketers by Nigerian liquefied natural gas will attract more investors and reduce importation into the country. Ghana and Ivory Coast are looking at introducing a cocoa-producing ceiling to support 
global prices and discourage overproduction. The move comes after the West African nations, whose two-thirds of the world's cocoa, imposed a fixed living income differential or premium on 400 million US dollars a ton in July on all cocoa sales for the 2020-2021 season. Many cocoa buyers say the LID, which represents a major overhaul of how cocoa is priced globally, could lead to access production and eventually to lower prices. Some 25 international and local speakers will converge in Johannesburg, South Africa, mid-October for a Singularity EU South Africa Summit 2019. The summit will seek to explore the use of technology to address the most pressing issues facing the African continent. Now in its third year, the event aims to further Singularity's mission to increase the accessibility of new technologies and help future-proof Africa by bringing thought leaders from around the world together to share their experience. The US dollar is trading at 358.51 Nigerian Nara, 10.71 Botswana Pula, 102.76 Kenyan Shilling and 13.14 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.8 Brazilian roll, 64.30 64.30 Russian ruble, 71.14 Indian rupee, 7.8 Chinese yuan and 14.66 to the South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold $1,494, platinum $929 pounds, brand crude oil $63.67 a barrel. From an African perspective, this remains your favorite channel. Our sports updates up next with Figle Lingwati. First up in our sports update, let's start off with the cricket news. Virat Kohli and David Miller both took spectacular one-handed catches that were totally sensational in the second T20 international match between the Standard Bank Proteas and India at Mohali on Wednesday. India won the match by seven wickets with an over to spare to give them a one-nil lead in the series with just the final match of the series to be played at the Bangaluru on Sunday after the opening match at the Dharamsala last Sunday was washed out. And in football news, Moroccan club Widat Casablanca have lodged a new appeal with the Court of Arbitration for Sport over the decision to declare Esperance the winners of the CAF Champions League final last season. The latest move by Widat is challenging the decision by the Confederation of African Football CAF Commission last month to award Tunisian side Esperance the title. Widad's players stormed off an hour into the return leg in Tunis on the 31st of May after a VAR malfunction meant a disallowed equalizer could not be reviewed. Kef had called for the second leg to be replayed at neutral venue, but that decision was later overruled by Cass. After a 1-0 first leg draw in Morocco, Esperance were leading the return game 1-0 when the Widad players left the field. 
South African Premiership side Super Sports United will meet Highlands Park in the 2019 MTN 8 final following a 2 0 victory over Tswane Arch rivals Mamelodi Sundowns in the semi final second leg clash at Lucas Muripe Stadium in Attridgeville, Pretoria last night. Super Sports coach Kaitano Tembu is happy with the result. Oh, well, I think uh, it was a difficult game. Uh, we're playing against a very good team. A team which was also well rested. We knew they went to Seychelles, uh, they made about nine changes. But I'm very proud of the guys. I think uh, tactically we were very spot on, we were very patient and uh, we managed the game very well. Uh, when we needed to press, we did that. When we needed to be compact and drop off a little bit, we did that. When we needed to you know, catch them on transition, we did that. And we scored uh, two good goals as well. Sundowns have never won the MTN 8 since it was incepted in 2008. In Musimani, that is uh, a Sundowns coach, congratulated the referee and Super Sports United coach Kaitano Tembo. Congratulate uh, Kaitano. He deserves a break. He needs this, this cup. He played a very good tactical game. Immediately, especially after getting an early goal. I knew that if we get an early goal, it will be difficult for us and everything will be totally different to play 75 minutes with a reinforced defence. It will be difficult and obviously we pushed on. I think we started playing to play very late in the second half. First half we didn't play very well, but we played well second half. We you know, showed agency, we attacked a lot, especially from the left side. Yeah, but it was not uh, enough time to, to keep going. And finally, with Athletics, World Athletics Governing Body, the IAAF President Sebastian Ko, has confirmed he has not spoken directly to Casta Semenya after the rule was implemented, forcing female athletes to regulate their testosterone levels. The IAAF, seeking to ensure fair competition for all women, argued that athletes with differences of sex development, the DSD athletes like Semenya, who are born with the 46XY chromosome rather than the XX chromosome, most females have would have an advantage in all events. The ruling means that Semenya can no longer compete in events between 400 meter and a mile, which has ruled uh, out of defending her 800-meter title at the IAAF World Championships in Qatar later this month. That's a Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. UN General Assembly to spotlight climate change. Zimbabwean police block a march by doctors in Harare and UN experts to assist South Africa in its fight against gender-based violence. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magadza and Tutungubeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us.
For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Yvonne Chaka Chaka with the track titled Motherland. <laughs> 